Do you think life is simpler after you retire? For some, it's actually more complicated when facing issues about health, estate plans, probate, long-term care, and more. That's why attorney CPA Joe Cordell hosts Elder Talk with Joe Cordell, providing smart solutions for seniors and an open forum for older adults with important questions about their future. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Elder Talk. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, things relating to documents or, or planning that's necessary as you grow older to have in place. I mean, we never know what's coming around the corner as we age. It seems that the, the surprises often overtake us. So we want to talk about what is it that would be good to have in place to where you can be more confident on a day-to-day basis that you're covered. Uh, Why don't you uh, introduce our topic here a little more, Susan? Well, today we're going to talk about, as Joe said, those documents that you need to have in place. Now, some of those documents we've talked about before, and you're thinking, well, okay, I've heard all this before, but there's always new information. So we have powers of attorney, powers of attorney for health care. Those are the two that we're going to be discussing most today, and we want to hear from you. We want to take your questions. A lot of you have heard and listened to us before, and so you, you know the base. But every situation is unique. So we invite you to give us a call today at 314-969-KTRS or 1-888-550-KTRS and give us a call and we will take your questions on powers of attorney, durable powers of attorney for health care, those types of things today. Okay, so let let me start out by kind of setting the stage. Um, I know that that for the most part, these sorts of things relating to retirement and planning for possible disability is is a boring depending on where you sit. So if you're probably in your 40s or so, you're thinking, uh, you know, let, let me change the channel and see what's happening in the sports world or whatnot. But, but if you sit in your 70s, for example, and we know that our audience by design is 60 plus, but if, for example, you're in your 70s, then, then this has a relevance and an urgency that may not be appreciated when you're younger. But here's the point. The necessity for something like this can be triggered in the flash of an eye. I mm-hmm. mean, just in a moment in time, you can suddenly go from being competent to incompetent. And I don't think the average person realizes the magnitude of that problem when it happens. Well, I'll give you a real-life example. We um, came home one, one afternoon and saw an ambulance in front of one of our neighbor's homes, and I thought, oh, dear, he he maybe had a heart attack or something like that. Well, it turns out he um, had fallen down the stairs and is in his early 60s, I believe, and got a, a really fatal diagnosis. It was diagnosed <laughs> with a disease that's incurable and is going to alter his life drastically. Yeah, and... And th- things like that, uh, sometimes a fall or an incident or a trauma can can trigger something much bigger. Sometimes it's a short-term emergency. So whether it's an emergency that is, is going to be resolved in, in days or weeks or months, or it's something that will perhaps exist for the balance of your life, in either case, you need to know that, that your life comes to a halt. Everything is on hold as a practical matter. Nobody can take care of the things that need to be taken care of your, in your life because you're an adult. I mean, we, we often forget that the authority we have to take care of children 
which incidentally, this is a proper analogy because children under the law are considered incompetent. Mm -hmm. They're incompetent to engage in transactions uh, of various sorts, automobiles, alcohol, uh, guns. I mean, we, we, we limit their access to things that we think can cause problems. With good reason. We don't trust their judgment. Right. With good reason. Some kids more than others. But the point is, when you're an adult, the assumption is shifted. But what happens when it's no longer true? And and when that comes, then unlike your child where you can take them to a doctor, you can intervene to protect them. An adult, until a gavel goes down in a court after an unpleasant hearing, an intrusive hearing typically, and, mm-hmm. and there are doctors involved, as there must be, uh, there there is a uh, guardian ad litem typically appointed. So there are these these various people involved in a proceeding in a courthouse, and this is costing money, this is consuming time, and meanwhile everything's on hold until an order is issued. But the fact is that the person who is needing this help is not in a position to have any say because, by definition, they're incompetent. So th- this is something that perhaps we assume will happen to somebody else, but it can happen to any of us at any time, whether it's a stroke, a car accident, dementia, mm-hmm. something that comes on a little more slowly. We just don't know. And that is that is one of the most important pieces about planning as you get older is recognizing that this is one of the most urgent threats that you can face. Well, that's right. And, you know, we are facing so many different things with aging parents in my own family. Now, some of the questions that we are running across is what to do if they have not provided for that. I mean, I have a relative who is is not really thinking long term and is just going to live for the moment. And suddenly she fell last week. And so I got a call and they said, well, have you found out about this? And they don't live in our city. And so now we're all scrambling a little bit going, okay, who has power of attorney? You said you did. Can you put your hands on that document? What have you done? Have you done anything? Did they really sign power of attorney or was that just for a bank thing or something like that? So we're now we're all scrambling trying to do the research when a little planning and a little preparation would have helped. And another example that many people don't think of to that is what about when your kid goes off to college? Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan, you and I both uh, have have encountered a situation where where suddenly you find out that you don't have access to the records. Now, this is a child you're paying for college. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I'm sending the bills in. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're responsible for payment, but yet. You don't have any more access to this person's records than, for example, I would. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is there is an alternative to that cumbersome process I was describing, which is a guardianship conservatorship hearing, incidentally, is the name of that process I was describing. But the alternative is, as you mentioned, is a power of attorney. And a power of attorney is simply a, a piece of paper in which you delegate or you appoint someone as your agent. So you're the principal and you appoint an agent. And this agent has the authority to engage in transactions for you. I mean, all those things in your life that need to happen on a day-to-day basis, paying your rent, um, utility bills, renewing leases, um, information about your IRA, things that have to be followed up on in your investment accounts, monitoring your investment accounts, deciding that things perhaps need to be moved from this account to another, uh, seeing if, for example, there is is, uh, a balance in your checking account sufficient to pay the checks that are coming in. All these things we take for granted, but imagine that suddenly no one had the authority to do those things for you and that suddenly you're incompetent. Mm -hmm. 
So under those circumstances, there is an, a solution, and it is a simple solution. And in and, and one of those rare cases, it's relatively inexpensive. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. It, a lot of things that lawyers do, we get accused of, of, of being expensive in many ways, and, and, and of course we are in some ways. However, I can tell you, when it comes to a power of attorney, this is a document that needn't cost you much money. So it's a pretty simple thing. Why don't you, um, again, I want to remind our listeners, we are taking phone calls today, and that number is 314-969-KTRS, 1-888-550-KTRS. If you have a call for Joe today, we invite you to uh, give us a call, and we'll do our best to answer it for you. So take us through the process of how we would do this from start to finish. So there's um, a difference between power of attorney for just life and power of attorney for health care. Yeah, they are, they're both called uh, durable powers of attorney. And so you've heard this phrase, a durable power of attorney for health care. Is that it, also a living will? A uh, living will is a little different. Okay. Uh, I'll distinguish that. In, in Let me first say that a durable power of attorney versus a durable power of attorney for health care is simply the difference between one that handles what you refer to as life, which which is really legal and financial stuff. Okay. So you might say everything but the health care stuff. And then there's actually a separate statute. And, and and almost always it's a separate document that refers to this durable power of attorney for health care that, that empowers someone to appoint someone to make decisions relating to the health care. That can be the same person for both of those, but typically it's two different pieces of paper, uh, often for good reason. Often there are separate people who, who make these decisions. So you might want to have one child, let's say, be responsible for making your health care decisions because they might live in town, but maybe they're not so great with handling money. And so you might have a different child yeah. or or a, a brother or a sister or something like that handle your financial matters. That, that's correct. Uh, and, and often, as you point out, it's often the in-town kid versus the out-of-town kid. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that sometimes this creates friction mm-hmm. because the out-of-town kids tend to be the critics. Uh, I mean, they're they're genuinely concerned, but it's easy for them to question decisions that are being made by the by the person on the spot who is juggling several things. It may be a member of this sandwich generation where they're busily trying to take care of their their smaller kids or trying to help their parents, and meanwhile, it's not unusual for them to get some disagreement from the out of town kids. So often you, you you can see a little bit of friction develop there. I think it's important to distribute the responsibility to the extent you can. But remember, you can choose more than one person. I okay. mean, theoretically, you could have all your kids be delegated. Now, that can invite some some complications if their votes are different on particular things. Do they all have to agree? Depending on the wording. Okay. And, and that's what's wonderful about a power of attorney is, is you can design it in a way that you want it to work for you. And it's a powerful document. It means that the moment that, that you are are suddenly unable to accomplish things for yourself, that someone can come in and kind of catch the ball and and continue running down the field, doing the things that need to be done on your behalf. It, it's huge. And this is one of those things in the legal world that, that's considered very inexpensive just because it, it's often not a real long document. It is important for this to, to mention specifically a lot of things that need to happen. Um, one thing that, that I'll do is is – list some of the things that you want to see if you have a durable power of attorney. Those of you listening who have one presently or you think you're covered, you might pull it out and look at it because it's not simply a single size fits all. Okay. Uh, Different people want different things. For example, if you have a power of attorney, you might look at it to see, is it a springing power? 
Okay. And a springing power means that it comes into effect upon the occurrence of some event. Normally, that means that a doctor has certified that you're incompetent. And until that happens, it's not valid. And many people think, well, gee, that's a safe way to approach this. Now, it may be the right way to approach it, but it does potentially produce a delay at a time when you want the skids to be exceptionally well greased Mm -hmm. because you want someone to be taking action on your behalf, sometimes urgent action in those early hours following some sort of emergency. And under those circumstances, you would need to, for example, get a doctor to certify that that you can no longer make decisions. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's better to pick carefully the person that you give this power to and to give it to them. And to just trust them to not use it unless they need to. Yeah, yeah. And it also doesn't create any any gray or definitional areas when you're having a teller at a bank or a clerk at a brokerage firm or whatnot looking at it to see if your authority is valid at this moment is often they become nervous if there are conditions that, that they wonder, gee, were these conditions satisfied? Okay, right. The last thing you want is for them to send it up to the lawyer's office on the 40th floor. <laughs> I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't expedite things. It might not come back for a few months. Or... Yeah, yeah. It, it goes in that, that tray, uh, that, that end tray that may not uh, get attention until uh, several days later. So these things are, are, are the sort of things that you want to be able to happen smoothly and quickly, and you don't want any impediments. Another thing is to think about whether you want them to share power, you know, you can have more than one person, and uh, there's no simple answer to that. I would definitely say, even if you don't have more than one person on the line that have uh, equal authority at a time, uh, you should have a successor name. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to have to somebody have to go to court and have a judge name a successor, which they can if need be. But the whole idea is to keep it out of court. Mm-hmm. So you need to think about the possibility that whoever you named may be gone, they may be uh, unavailable, they may be uninterested. They, in other words, they may not want to do the power. So how many people would you put? Would you normally have one person be your primary one, then a second one? I mean, how how far down the line do you go? Do you go two or three? Uh, yeah, I would okay. say two or three. You want to have two or three listed. And uh, and also you want to think about what what is the scope of their authority. If they simply, if this document just goes with the extent that the statute gives them, then it's a lot of authority. Uh but it will only include certain things if they're expressly mentioned. I mean, the law is clear that that some things you got to give specifically, or it or the person doesn't have that authority. And then there's another category of things that are just prohibited to give that authority. So, what would be an example of something that you would have to expressly say that you would like to have included? What's the uh, most common thing? Uh, actions relating to a trust, meaning giving someone the authority to move assets into a trust. They're called, the law calls them gratuitous transfers. All that means is that, that you want them to be able to move things around to qualify you, for example, for uh, Medicaid planning. Medicaid planning is among the more urgent things that might be triggered with this sort of emergency. And, and this is not a power that's automatically given. You, you need to, to give someone expressly the authority to, to transfer things in trust, uh, to interact with a trustee, et cetera, with, with your assets. And and another thing that that is common is things relating to living wills, et cetera. And and we you know, we know that that sometimes people will feel far more comfortable having people deal with just managing their stuff, taking care of those funda- fundamentals mm-hmm. than they do uh tampering with something that might affect their estate plan. Okay. So that that's a um, a borderline that some people don't want this person to cross, and I get that. 
And if you do want to give them authority to cross that line, to do things that tie in with, with quote unquote, a state plan, mm-hmm. then, then you need to say it expressly. But among those prohibited powers, the powers you cannot give them are powers relating to uh, changing a will, for example. Okay. That's something that the law simply will not permit you to empower a trustee to do. Many people listening say, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> but but some people might want them to tamper with that plan uh, if, if it, there are favorable tax laws or whatnot. It's not unusual for there to be reasons. Mm-hmm. But you should always distrust that, that, that the, the potential for someone with that sort of power uh, to maybe decide to rearrange things in a way that you wouldn't have approved. So once your will is set... Why that can be done while you're competent, but once you're declared incompetent, there's not a lot of changing that can ha- can happen. Uh, well, right. And, and as to the will itself, but now let's face it: there's there's often now a lot of what's called non-probate transfers, and non-probate transfers means that the law has come to recognize, really, in the last <clears throat> probably thirty, forty years, that that people can pass things on, uh, it, things that would normally have gone through an estate without having to conform to all those very strict rules of what's called the statute of wills. Statute of wills is very strict. When people think, oh, you need two witnesses, they need to be, what, in the room? Do they need to see the signature? Do you need to declare formally that before you put your your signature on a piece of paper to your witnesses, I hereby declare this is my will? All those formalities that are associated with a will, many people now try to bypass that with things such as beneficiary clauses okay. or or uh, payable on death provisions or transfer on death provisions. There's a host of, or at least a number, of alternatives that people have to this very traditional, what they regard as cumbersome and expensive, mm-hmm. um, uh, will process, which, of course, by definition includes probate. And and among those, are people will, will often um, want to give a power of attorney, somebody who has a power of attorney, the authority to to handle some of these things, to fix them in ways that that avoid probate. And you can do some of those things. Okay. But you've got to give them express authority. But nothing that reaches into those things that do tie in directly with a will, directly with a will. Those are things that you cannot give that authority. It's forbidden under the statute. Well, we're talking today about some of the top legal documents that you need to have and that you need to plan for. So we've talked a little bit about durable power of attorney. Um, we haven't gotten too much into the durable power power of attorney for health care. Yeah, I did. I promised I would distinguish that. Uh, the, the durable power of attorney for health care, think of it this way. We just mentioned a will. A will is a declaration to the world that the this is what I want to happen with my stuff, right? So it's mm-hmm. not... So much saying, I I hereby declare that Bill, it will decide what happens to my stuff. Whatever Bill says, do. Uh, that's kind of what a durable power of attorney is, and and that's what a durable power of attorney for healthcare is. Is it's giving discretion or authority to someone else to answer all those questions that doctors, uh, hospitals, others involved in the in the healthcare field. Uh, they can simply turn to this person, and whatever this person says, they have authority, and that's conclusive. That's delegating power, and that's what a durable power of attorney does, and, and specifically a durable power of attorney for health care. A living will is different. A living will is where you are saying to the world that, look, this is what I want to happen if I'm in a condition where I'm incompetent and there are important decisions that have to be made about my health. These are the rules. So it's not delegating it to anybody. 
It's okay. saying read this document, follow these rules. It's really the opposite of a delegation of authority. It's saying I'll deal with it right here. Do it like I'm telling you right now. More like a will, more like a traditional will. So how specific do you need to be? I mean, t- medical field is changing all the time, and there are ways to keep us alive longer. There are, there are advances in medication. There are advances in technology. There are advances all around us. If I prepare my will today, 10 years from now, or my durable power for health care, 10 years from now, there might be something completely um, new that's available. How specific do I need to be in some of those decisions? I do want this. I don't want that. Am I looking at just keeping myself alive or feeding tubes? I know some of those things get mentioned now, but down the road, there may be a whole new technology. Well, and and some people might say uh, that this is kind of like, to borrow a phrase from the past, belt and suspenders, meaning that you want some reinforcement when you're choosing to have in place a durable power of attorney for health care as well as a living will. So, those two working cooperatively can accommodate change. So you're right. It, to the extent that you try to identify through a living will all the potential scenarios, uh, you can, by using general language, cover a lot of area. But but by using general language, you're also producing gray. Right. And gray is something that the lawyers of the hospitals and the doctors and whatnot don't like. Right. Because it's an invitation for litigation with families. And, and the, the Cruzam case and, and others with which we are familiar, having read about in detail as these as these lawsuits unfolded through multiple courts, mm-hmm. ending up in the Supreme Court uh, with, with the Nancy Cruzam case, is that, is that we know that there's potential for conflict, delay, and litigation expense. Mm-hmm. So hospitals and other health care providers would much rather you delegate authority to a person because it does answer your 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 question in that – you point out that this is a, a moving target. I mean, healthcare options change. And, and what now, or even 20 years ago especially, would have been limited to three or four items ventilator decisions, mm-hmm. discontinuation of artificial nutrition, hydration, uh, maybe analgesics. Uh, now we have antibiotics more commonly added to that list. So there are several – there's a handful of things that routinely appear in a living will document, for example. But as you point out, that, that list will change over time, and suddenly it will become a judgment call. So it's good to have both. It's good to have a durable power of attorney in the event – durable power of attorney for health care in the event that the, that you, you have someone who's available, which would be your intention, and it's it's the preference of, of everyone concerned that there be someone there to answer your questions or to answer the questions, rather, of the, of the health care provider. But we all recognize that this person may not be available. They may be, they may be incompetent at that stage. They may be traveling when a, an important decision has to be made. They may be in Europe when, when something related to discontinuation and allowing you to accomplish a, um, a gift – of, of your body to, to science or to transfer critical organs. Mm-hmm. Uh, those decisions are often very, very time sensitive. And, and someone can be given that authority through a durable power of attorney for health care to make that, that decision, but they need that if it's not authorized elsewhere. So it's better to have both of them in place, uh, but you, you do want to have the living will just because it, it's something that may in fact be the operative document depending on who's available. Well, we're talking today about the documents that you need as you prepare for aging and as you look forward into life. 
durable power of attorney, durable power of attorney for health care. We invite you to take to give us a call and ask your questions at 314-969-KTRS or 1-888-550-KTRS. Joe, let's take a break for a second and then we'll we'll be back with more um, elder talk. Okay, we're back. Susan, I tell you that this change in our schedule, our show, those of you listening, many of you are aware that the show is normally at three o'clock in the afternoon. And because of Tiger football, uh, we get moved occasionally. And this is one of those occasions. So if you are used to hearing a program about home and garden and long questions, don't call us and ask us those questions because I can tell you exactly how to kill a plant. I can tell you um, how not to water them, and uh, I, can, <laughs> I well, can definitely do that for you. But if you do have a question about law concerns and elder law and planning for the future, uh, a, a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney for health care, a living will, any of those types of questions, we invite you to give us a call at 314-969-KTRS or 1-888-550-KTRS. Yeah, that's one of the tough things about having our schedule moved during football season. Well, if if the Tigers would do a little better, they'd be on in the evening instead of the afternoon games. Yeah, that's what I heard, is that <laughs> they would otherwise be at 6 o'clock, but now they're at 3 in the afternoon. Yeah, they're having a rough season, I think. <laughs> so I'm afraid that, that many of our normal listening audience uh, is, is wondering where we are at 3 o'clock. But in any case, uh, let, let's go ahead and we will make a... Um, we'll make a shift here because some people I know have raised in the past the issue about how do you reconcile a trust with mm-hmm. a durable power of attorney. Mm-hmm. They, they say, well, if I have a durable power of attorney, why do I need a trust? I don't need it, right. Because and, none of us, really, none of us want to give the the lawyer any more than we need to. None of us love dealing with these things. I mean, honestly. Well, they love dealing with lawyers, Well, uh, Yeah, and especially you. Oh, so. without <laughs> question. And, and I think that what the challenge is that is that how do you get this done without lawyers? Well, I think you don't. And I think that's why you see a lot of a lot of the online um, forms and things like that. Yeah. We've talked about those a few times on the program about, well, you, you kind of get what you pay for in those situations. So they're better than nothing, but there's a lot better way to do it. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, I mean, a form is is something that is intended to fit the needs of a lot of people. And even if it has a lot of blanks. I mean, the more blanks someone might argue that their form has, meaning the more customizable it potentially is, but it's also more opportunity for error. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that the probability of error goes up dramatically. There's some formula that increases with every single uh, every single form that, that has the number of blanks that they're, they're represented. Well, we do have a call from Jim today, and so we're going to go ahead and invite Jim to uh, ask his question. Hi, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation. You're welcome. Uh, Is there a way to circumvent a spouse that will not uh, get involved with uh, DNR or any uh, anything that that revolves around those types of legal documents? Boy, that's interesting. So. So a spouse, incidentally, does not automatically have authority over the decisions that we're talking about here. Um, and and that's good news to many, even though they may have stable marriages or not so stable marriages. Sometimes they give the authority relating to powers of attorney, especially as it pertains to powers of attorney for health care, 
to third parties. And many of us think, well, and as a matter of fact, in estate planning, our assumption often is, when we're, especially when we're meeting with a couple, is that they, they will have reciprocal provisions about who makes these decisions. And those of you who are listening that, that, that don't know what DNR means, it means do not resuscitate. So it's similar, or at least it, it would be regarded as one of the things that a durable power of attorney for health care can deal with, among others. So just to clarify, Jim, your spouse is not willing to do that, or, or, or what? She's not willing to go to the doctor to uh, because it's my understanding that you have to have a doctor's uh, fill out a form for the DNR, and she will not do that. And, and is this, this is relating to the discontinue to discontinuing care for whom? Uh, for both of us. Okay, so for a future event. Correct. Well, and, and I, I do think that that it's a matter of of having this durable power of attorney for health care and and assigning that decision to someone else. Uh, you don't have to give your spouse authority over this. Naturally, it'd be great if you all were of one mind regarding kind of these fundamental things about end of life. But often people, couples are not. And when that's the case, then you assign that authority to someone else. Because I can tell you, in this case, in the absence of a document assigning that authority to someone else, then your spouse will be the one who makes those calls. Well, and so does... A doctor have to sign off if someone wants to put a do not resuscitate order in their document. Does a doctor have to sign off on that? Is that what you're asking too? Yes. Well, um, doctors are the ones who ultimately give the order, but they give it in compliance with with the wishes, for example, in a living will or a durable power of attorney for health care. So doctors will be compliant with that. But that's an order that, that is a doctor is participating in that order being issued. But they are doing it in compliance with those documents. But, again, that's coming from the authority of someone you've delegated, presumably, uh, unless it's a living will. Now, you remember a few minutes ago we were talking about a living will in which in which there is no delegated authority. You just say in this document, this is my opinion. But you can only say that regarding yourself, not, not a, a third party. But I will say that in the absence of any of these documents, the go-to person is going to be a spouse. Does that kind of answer your question, Jim? Okay. Yeah, kind of. So, in other words, if I'm if I'm understanding what you're saying, if if and when a, a tragic uh, situation occurs, then as spouse, I can uh, I can initiate a DNR. Uh, it, meaning, if regarding yourself. Cannot initiate a DNR for her. Okay, that uh, no. Well, let, let me let me take a step back. If if she has has given someone the authority to make that decision, then no, you cannot. If she's given authority to anyone else, then no, you cannot. Or if she's expressed a contrary authority in a living will, then you cannot. But I would say that if there are no documents, then as a practical matter, what happens? is the court looks to the closest, excuse me, not the court, but the, the care provider will look probably to the closest family member as a practical matter. They're not bound legally by that family member's decision, but I can tell you that that's typically what happens. So as a practical matter, you, 
your your spouse would be making that decision in the absence of any document to the contrary. Well, I, I would have the DNR for myself, but I'm concerned with with my spouse not being um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, cooperative. Yeah, cooperative. Well, and and you're also assuming a common accident, right? Something in which you're both involved. Give me an example of what you're talking. Well, about. Well, in other words, an incident in which you're not in a position to make decisions for her. So, um, so as a result, you're wondering what is going to go down if she doesn't, in advance, indicate that she wants to have the ventilator discontinued, et cetera, under certain circumstances, and a DNR. All right. So uh, what I need, I, I, we have a son, so I need, I should loop him into the decision-making process of what needs to be done if the event occurs that I am incapacitated myself. Yeah, that's good. How old is your son? 42. Okay. Uh, I, I would think that, that he would be the choice, perhaps, of both of you. Uh, to to be delegated with the authority to be the agent under durable power of attorney for health care. Sounds to me like he would be uh, a good person to make that call for both of you. And very commonly, that is what happens, is it's children for both uh, after spouses. So, but I have to uh, uh, create the document for durable power of attorney. Yeah, you, you definitely need a, both of you should have a durable power of attorney for health care. Uh, in addition to, incidentally, a durable power of attorney, which is not subject to this call, uh, and you should both have living wills uh, in order to to be confident that that someone is going to do the right things when you're in a position to no longer tell them to do the right things. All right. Well, thank you for calling, Jim. We hope that helps you. It sounds like um, maybe if you get your son involved, that would be the best um, way to kind of carry out your wishes. Maybe the son would arbitrate this dispute. Yeah, that's that's a tough call when when two people are not quite agreeing. Yeah, and it's a big decision. We we all think that this is something that we may not have to deal with ever, um, and if we do, it's a long way away. Uh, but in fact, the probability is that I don't know what those probabilities are, but I know they're substantial. That that all of us will have someone making this decision for us Mm -hmm. in in all likelihood. Well, right. And that's what we are trying to do is trying to prepare ahead of time so that our wishes can be carried out. I mean, you know, it's, it's heart wrenching to be with a loved one and to have to make that decision. I understand where maybe Jim's wife would be coming from is I don't want to be the one that says my husband shouldn't live anymore. I want him to take every opportunity to live. But if I know it's his wishes and it's in there and I can take that emotion out because there are documents in place and he's made it really clear and he's thought about it and he's prepared for it. Um, and so that might be a little easier and take the emotional aspect of it out just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm reminded of this in a very personal way. It's one thing to deal with it professionally but but you see it in in a different way, in a more vivid way, of course, when it's your family and and my family, like everyone our age, I'm I'm 60 now, uh, we're starting to experience things that we saw more in a professional environment. Now we're seeing it more personally, 
And I have an aunt with whom I was very close who fell. She was at home. Her, she was 85. Mm-hmm. And she fell down uh, the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, she had discontinued the caregivers that we had suggested she keep on 24-7. Uh-oh. So they were coming just part-time, and this apparently occurred at 4 or so in the morning. We're guessing. We're not sure when. It was mm-hmm. in the morning. Uh, she fell down the steps, and it wasn't discovered till hours later. This is mm-hmm. in, in another city. So uh, she didn't have documents in place that at least that were readily accessible. Turns out there were some documents, but we didn't know where they were, mm-hmm. and we didn't know who had authority in, in those documents. So – there was a period of time after she fell when she was unconscious and she was in the hospital. And when we arrived, uh, it, of course, we were, you know, hours, of course, getting there. We had to travel there. But uh, when we arrived, we found that, that she was on a ventilator and she just looked awful, as those of you listening have seen family members mm-hmm. in that. Some of you have seen family members in that situation. And, and uh you know, we wanted to intervene to, to try to not have her have any pain or suffering. But until this document was found, we didn't have any authority. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that she regained conscious in that week before she died. She was in the hospital for about a week, on a ventilator the whole time, mm-hmm. looked miserable. Mm-hmm. But I don't know to what extent she was respons- responsive or, or conscious. Her eyes opened. Mm-hmm. But, but when I say conscious, I mean cognizant. Right. I, I don't know. And I, as a matter of fact, my hope is that she wasn't cognizant at all from mm-hmm. the moment that her head hit that floor when she fell. But uh, but I'm concerned she was. And so here somebody's captive to this situation where the hospital will simply let things go on in that situation, not out of indifference, but out of just momentum. I mean, it's what they do. Right. And their goal is to help you and they do everything medically that they know to do. And they certainly don't know your wishes or your aunt's wishes. Yeah, and it wasn't as if she'd been like this for a year. Uh, but just just put yourself in that position. Do you want to be like that for even a week? Mm-hmm. If if you know that that there's just pain and suffering ahead of you before you die, and and in this case she had multiple broken bones, and and I'm sure if she gained cognizance that that. She wanted nothing more than to be out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's no doubt in my mind of that. But there was no way to communicate. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wasn't clear enough to be able to write or anything. Besides, her hands were, were down because of fractures and whatnot. So she she had no mobility to express herself that way. So uh, th- th- this is just an illustration. And some of you could call in. Many of you could call in and give similar stories. Um but it, it's what can happen when you don't have someone who can rescue you. Mm-hmm. And we knew rescue in this case was relief, was being able to go on and quit suffering, which in her case, in, in my opinion, took a week longer than it should have. Well, and that's why we're doing this program. I mean, you're right. You said at the beginning of it, sometimes when you talk legal things, it can sound a little bit dry or a little bit, oh, no, they're talking about that again. But the reason that we're doing these things and the reason that we want to stress a lot of these documents is to try and help people make their make their end of life much easier, make things a little bit more um, comfortable for them. Every single one of us are going to age. Every single one of us are going to have family members that we love who we just can't control the the situation that they find themselves in. And if the right documentation is there, it can smooth the transition along. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and keep in mind, this is not just a conversation 
for uh, what you think you might need when you're in your 90s. Uh, this could be something that would be relevant to you in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just don't know when, right. when car accidents and, and traumas and, and other even health incidences that we didn't know about. Now, you mentioned that your aunt actually did have the paperwork, but things were still delayed. That leads me to the question of what do we need to do to make sure that our wishes are carried out? I mean, who do we need to tell? How do these, you know, you talked about the different types of power of attorney, the springing or the one that takes place initially, but then how do we communicate that to the hospital or to the doctor or to the bank or to anybody that needs to know that? Well, it is important for the person that you want to take over for you. Uh, both with respect, remember, there are two documents we're talking about here. One is the durable power of attorney, mm-hmm. which is for the financial and legal, and the other is the durable power of attorney for health care. You want both of those to be in the hands of someone that that would be acting pursuant to those. Now, probably you want them in the hands of the person you've assigned the power to. So you don't get the document and then put it in a file right? at your house, yeah. which yeah. is what I think a lot of people will do. I mean, I... I'm- well, what the in in my aunt's case, they were in a safe deposit box. It turns out, so we weren't sure that there was a safe deposit box, and then we were having trouble getting access to it because the the thing that would give us power to get access to it was in there. Mm-hmm. Oh so, dear! And, and and so she had granted authority, but it's just that that we couldn't get to these documents, and and then there there were just some mistakes made on the part of the hospital that. Uh, that that they they resuscitate her resuscitated her even after we had gotten the information it was just just a mistake they're very apologetic about it uh, but I think that there's no substitute for a family member that has in their hand the authority and that they they be able to access that immediately uh, and and be able to provide depending on the situation relief uh, if if somebody cannot recover then they want to move on without pain if that's your goal. Or maybe you want Herculean, you know, extraordinary efforts taken. And maybe you want to minimize the extent to which you're under the influence of of drugs that would rob you of your consciousness or whatnot during those final moments or that period. Different people have different opinions regarding such things. So, uh, you know, you're not going to – I can tell you one thing. You won't be in a position to express those views at that time. Mm -hmm. And if you leave it to your kids – I promise you they'll disagree. <laughs> <laughs> two kids are going to have two different opinions. And, and, and argue, and those disagreements over those issues will often linger for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are issues that 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 they they tend to um, produce wounds and and scarring in relationships that don't quite recover. And when it relates to a period toward the end of a loved one's life, and mm-hmm. typically a parent, mm-hmm. and and when when the children disagree about the way things were handled, yeah, we do hear about those things about money and and uh, other things like that. But I can tell you that more often than that, I see issues about decisions made of care, uh, whether it's purely medical or not. It's the the physical care where they live, whether it should it be assisted living, should it be skilled care should they try to keep them at home you know mom or dad wouldn't want their house sold um, because they're going to want to return to it and the other kid says no no that's not feasible for them to return to that house Uh, so those are the things that result in arguments more often than the arguments over money well i agree i think that again it's so hard because there are so many emotions in there i mean who wants to be the one to decide that 
mom's never going to go back to her house, the home that she loved, or who wants to be the one to put the family home on the market? I mean, a lot of times there's the pra- you know the practical kid and then the not practical kid, and the practical kid and the not practical kid are just not always going to agree. Yeah, and and as we mentioned a few few moments ago, uh, it's very easy to stand in judgment of the kid in the city where the parents live who's making decisions on a daily basis. And, and from afar, it may not look like the best decision. It may not be the best decision. But you have to give some deference to the person there who's trying their best. Who's living it. And, and often often those those conflicts produce problems in relationships. But but let me mention one other document here in, in the waning minutes. How much longer do we have? We have about five minutes. Five minutes, okay. So... Let, let me mention one other thing that's less about a legal issue than something that will have tremendous practical value, uh, and that's that's a personal care plan. And this is simply something that's intended to leverage authority under the Omnibus Nursing Home Act. Uh, Obama signed this in 2015 in celebration or commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the passage of Medicare and Medicaid. And, and this law is intended to to raise the bar higher for what was expected from nursing home care or any long-term care facility that's receiving federal funds through Medicare and Medicaid. So states are under an obligation to, to rise to the occasion to provide this level of care or at least a regulatory environment to enforce it and the absence of which they lose the funds. Oh, okay. So, so th- this was something where it's less about those things we heard about in the 70s and 80s where people weren't rolled over. Or you heard sco- stories about bed sores and, and neglect and, and things that, that just needed cleaning up. And much of that's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we're happy to report. Much of that's happened. So now the bar was raised with this new legislation to say, now nursing homes have responsibility to develop a personal care plan or a plan that, that reflects the individual goals um, of that particular patient. So it, it will require, to the extent the patient is able to express those, and often they are, then there should be a record in that person's file of, of do they want, do they realistically expect to return home? What's the plan that's going to be in place to allow them to do the things that have to play occur for them to recover enough to be able to return to their home in, in a, for example, a rehabilitative scenario? Mm-hmm. And then, or is this somebody where that's not realistic? So there needs to be evidence, though, of these very individualized plans and conversations in everyone's file and this will be audited, at least it's set up to be audited from time to time through this process. So what are some practical and what are some things that people might put in their personal care plan? Well, I'm, we're suggesting to our clients that they, they recognize that, look, it's not coincidental that we're seeing these memory care facilities spring up everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a fast-growing area in the long-term care industry. And that there's a reason for that, and that's that it seems that we've not seen as much progress in the in the things relating to Alzheimer's other forms of dementia that we've seen often in the more physical things. So so the bottom line is think about whether you want to develop a plan, a plan in which you can include things that you want to occur for a much longer period of time. We're not talking about very end of life. We're talking about a period that could last for several years. Certainly in a memory care facility. Yeah, and, and when you're not competent and you cannot express what those individual desires are. Now, while you are competent, you can create such a plan which ha- will have influence when turned over to the nursing home or other spe- skilled care facility. So I've talked fast here. I know we've covered a lot of territory, uh, but our goal in this in this show has been to talk about things that really are, are simple documents. And they, they should be relatively simple documents 
but things that be, can be hugely powerful. You won't, you shouldn't spend much money on these things. All right, how much? Well, I mean, we're talking about less than a couple hundred bucks for it to be done right. Definitely worth it. Yeah, and and don't simply order a form. Please don't assume that 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 form, which a thousand other people have, will perfectly match all of your wishes. It won't. So pay the money it's necessary to get a form that's done correctly with your attorney and assure that it reflects your individual needs. Uh, a, pers- a personal care plan, a uh, durable power of attorney for health care, and a durable power of attorney. Boy, time's gone. This has been another episode of Elder Talk. Until next week, take care. You've been listening to Elder Talk with Joe Cordell, providing smart solutions for seniors with attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Listen again next Saturday for another edition of Elder Talk with Joe Cordell, sponsored by Cordell Planning Partners, your elder law advisors. For more information, visit eldercarelaw.com. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.